Okay, Romans chapter 6. Let's begin reading together at verse 15. 15 to 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we pray that you put your blessing upon your word today. May it do the work you intend for it to do, Lord, bring you honor and save sinners, and sanctify saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we return back to Romans chapter 6. We have been gone for a few weeks. We're coming back today. And in Romans 6, verse 7, we have this little statement. For he who has died is freed from sin. What he's saying there is that when we were united to Christ, we died with Christ to sin. When we were united to Christ, we were joined to him so that his history now becomes ours. And when Jesus died to sin, because we were in him, we also died to sin. These are difficult concepts to grasp, but I'll just throw them out there and hope that the Holy Spirit works. <laughs> when Jesus rose from the dead, because we were in Jesus, we also rose from the dead. That's why it says in verse 4 that we walk in newness of life. That's why it says that we died to sin. That's why it says in verse 6 that we were our old self was crucified with him. So we share Jesus' history together. And as we were working through this passage, Paul uses three different verbs to help us understand how we are to combat sin in our life. The verbs are know, consider, and present. We are to know that we are united to Christ. So we have, we have to have knowledge of it. We have to understand that. We're to go on to consider that. So in the moment of battle with sin, we need to not just know it intellectually, we need to consider. And the word consider means to count on it. It means to reckon that thing true to our life, to our account. So we know it in our mind, and then we count on it by faith. And then he says in verses 11 to 14 that we need to present we need to take the members of our body and to present those members to God as instruments of righteousness. So we take our ears, our eyes, our lips, our hands, our feet, our, our whole body, and we dedicate that. We surrender and dedicate those members to God 
that we would use them in his service and not in sin's service. But now, verses 15 to 23, he's going to take us a bit further in this understanding of sanctification. And the further piece that we have to understand is that we are slaves of God. We're no longer slaves of sin. We've now become slaves of God. He uses the word slaves in this section eight different times. That's the dominant thought here. He's talking about slavery, either slavery of sin or slavery of God. In chapter 6, verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Now, what he means by that is that he's using this imagery of slavery because of the weakness of their flesh. Because they have difficulty comprehending the truth that he's trying to lay out. If he gave it in abstract terms, he's going to embody those abstract terms in this illustration, in this analogy. And it's not a perfect analogy, right? I mean, slavery has, carries all kinds of negative connotations. Uh, that's not the word I was looking for. Connotations, doesn't it? I mean, we as a nation are guilty of some of the most heinous evils as it comes to slavery. Um, because slavery contained with it things like demeaning others, using others, exploiting people, selfishness, cruelty, having hard-heartedness and unfeeling towards people. And all of those things are evil and they're sinful. But the slavery that Paul is talking about here, being enslaved to God, carries none of those evil, sinful things with it. contains none of those sinful elements. In fact, the slavery that we are talking about here in Romans chapter 6 is perfect freedom. Freedom from sin's power. So that's what Paul's going to get into at this point. Now, he talks about two different kinds of slavery. Slavery to sin and slavery to God. Notice verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You were slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, and let's just stop there, either of sin, or verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, or verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, so he's just throwing this out matter of fact, saying, don't you know that at one time you were slaves of sin? So all of us here. Now, if you're a Christian, you're no longer a slave of sin, but you were. Right. At one point, all of us were until God freed us. But, and then he says in verse 19, he, he mentions a couple of other words. He says, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So he says we're slaves of sin, slaves to impurity, slaves to lawlessness. Impurity and lawlessness are just synonyms for the word sin. Now, let's go to the other side. But he also talks about slaves of obedience. In verse 16, he says, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Or in verse 18, he says, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Or verse 19, so now present your members as slaves to what? Righteousness, verse 19. Or verse 22, having been freed from sin and enslaved to, what does it say? Enslaved to God. So on the one hand, he says a person is either a slave of sin, impurity, and lawlessness. 
and but on the other hand, you have slaves of obedience, righteousness, and God. Now, the thing is that every person in the world is a slave. He's either a slave of sin or he's a slave of God. All of you right now listening to me, you are either a slave of sin or you're a slave of God. Amen. True. And if you're a slave of sin, God is able to free you. Amen. He's able to set you free from that sin that is dragging you down to hell. And we'll take you there unless you're free from it. Amen. Bob Dylan, you guys know the name. <laughs> he went through a sort of a Christian spell in his life. I don't think it was a real one because I don't think he even professes Christianity anymore. But when he was professing Christ in like 1979, he created a couple of albums. And one of his songs, uh, the, the chorus went like this. It may be the devil. Or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Yeah. And he was right. He was absolutely right. You're going to have to serve somebody. It's either going to be the devil or it's going to be the Lord. Amen. All of us are born into this world as slaves of sin. Some of us have been freed from that sin. What God does is he transfers people from the domain or the dominion of sin over into the domain or the dominion of grace. Now, in verses 15 to 23, Paul is continuing one of the, the themes that he has started in the first half of the chapter. In verse 13, he talks about presenting the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. Well, he's still talking about that, that in the last, half, the last half of the chapter. Um, in verse 19, he says, Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Also notice verse 14. Verse 14 is the conclusion of the first half, and it's the springboard into the second half of the chapter. He says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, sometimes we read that statement and we think he's giving a command. There's no command there. He doesn't command them to do anything. This is a statement of truth. This is just a fact. If you're a Christian, this is true about you. Sin shall not be master over you. Why? Because you're not under law, but you are under grace. Now, what does he mean by being under law? He's talking about the person that's seeking to be justified before God by his law keeping. He says, you're not doing that anymore. At one time, yeah, you tried to be right with God and uh, have be, to be accepted with God by keeping the law, but you found out that that was impossible, that you would never please God that way. And so instead of doing that, you've accepted God's favor through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ kept the law for you. And so when you realize that Christ has already kept the law and you put your faith in him, you go from being under the law to being under grace. See, under grace is to be in Christ. Under law is to be in Adam. And you have to be transferred out of one kingdom, domain, whatever you want to call it, where you're in Adam. You have to be cut out of that one and brought over and to be transferred into this one. Paul has already told us in Romans 5.21, he said, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. So there's two reigns. There's the reign of sin, the reign of grace. If you're a Christian, you're under this other one, this reign of grace. 
He already told us in Romans 5, 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So he says we stand in grace, if we're Christians, and we are under the reign of grace. We're not under law, we are under grace. Now, Paul has a particular pattern by which he, he argues, especially in the book of Romans. It's very prevalent. It comes up in Romans 6, 1, 6, 15, Romans 7, 7, Romans 7, 13, Romans 9, 14, and Romans 11, 1. It's the same pattern every time. This is what he does. He'll present an objection to something that he's just taught. Like he knows that people are listening to him or reading what he's written, and they're confused or they are objecting to what he's just said. And so what he will do is rephrase the objection. Let's just look at it. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? That's something that people would pick up on from verse 14. He has just said, you are not under law but under grace. And so he knows people are thinking, wow, if I don't have to be justified by my law keeping, why do I even try to keep the law? Why don't I just enjoy God's grace and enjoy sinning at the same time and just everything's good? So he poses that objection that someone's going to have when they're reading or listening to what he's just taught. And then he always will come back with a, may it never be, <laughs> or the King James, God forbid. What a ghastly thought is really the idea behind it. And then he spends several verses after that explaining why that should never be. So here it goes again. The question of the objector, objector then the may it never be statement, and then the explanation of why it may never be. And that's what he does over and over and over here in the book of Romans. Okay, so here's the question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Paul preached the gospel of free grace. Sinners are justified apart from obedience to the law. And so the person's thinking, okay, well, if that's true, I'm not going to bother about law keeping. Who needs that? I'm already justified by Christ. I don't need to do anything. I can just go on sinning and everything's cool. Uh, basically, the idea is, can God's grace give me a license to sin? And Paul's answer is no. The grace of God does not give anyone a license to sin. Um, Ola, do we have that? Did you make a slide with the two verses on it? Verse 1 and 15? Okay. Okay. So here we go. Let's, let's look at these very carefully together. There, the question of verse 1 and the question of verse 15 are very similar, but there are slight nuances of difference to them. The question of verse 1 is, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Verse 15, what shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Now those two questions are similar, but they're not, they're not the same question. The first question is, shall we sin in order that grace might increase? The second question is, shall we sin because grace has increased? You see? Slightly different. Also, there's another difference here. The question in verse 1 says, are we to continue in sin? Notice, continue in sin. Verse 15, shall we sin? He doesn't talk about continuing in it, just sin at all. So verse 1 says, shall we go on continuing in sin like we did when we were not saved, so that God's grace would increase? That's the question of verse 1. Verse 15 is, 
Shall we sin at all? Now that God's grace has increased in our life. See, when you first come to Christ, if you're like most Christians, you throw off all of the really ugly, offensive, gross sins, like fornication and adultery and cursing and swearing and drunkenness and drug addiction. You get rid of those big ones that everybody can see. And you think, well, isn't that good enough? Don't I look all right now? And the answer is no, because God wants holiness in every part of your life. Shall we sin at all in any area of our life because we're not under law but under grace? See, God is... <laughs> Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, God's standard is way, way, way up here. And he's bringing all of us towards that goal. Now, we're never going to reach perfection in this life. But that's the direction of every Christian. We're headed towards that. That's what we want. And that's what the Spirit wants. And he's working in us to bring us to that point. So, the answer to verse 1, are we to continue in sin and grace might increase, is no, we can't do that because we've died to sin. The answer to verse 15 are, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? The answer to that is, no, it's not okay for us to commit any acts of sin any longer because we're no longer slaves of sin. Now we're slaves of God. So to understand Paul's teaching in this chapter on holiness, we need to look at first at the old master, which is sin, and then look at the new master, which is God, and as we look at each of these masters, we're going to ask three questions of each one. We're going to ask, when did our slavery to that master begin? What did slavery to that master result in? And then thirdly, how will slavery to that master end? How did it begin? What does it result in? And how will it end? Okay? So let's take a look at the first one. The old master is sin. When did our slavery to sin actually begin? Well, ask yourself this question. When were you united to Adam? When you were born, someone says. Yes, but we can even go further than that. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were united to Adam. And all of, all of Adam's posterity, if you're one of Adam's race, you are conceived and born as a slave of sin. That's what the Word of God says. It's devastating, isn't it? It just wipes us all out from the very moment of conception. But that is, is what God is teaching us. Through union with Adam, sin reigned, bringing death. So we are united with Adam at birth. Well, we can go even back at conception. And as soon as we begin to exist as a member of Adam's race, we come under the dominion of sin. Now, does do any texts of scripture clearly teach that. I believe there are some clear texts. I'm going to show you two of them from the Old Testament, one from the New. So let's go back to the book of Psalms. And let's see what it has to say. Psalm 51. Now Psalm 51 is, is a very well-known psalm because it's David's psalm and he is remorseful for having committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he's complicit in Bathsheba's husband's murder. He actually gives the order to have him executed in battle. So and Nathan the prophet has come to him and showed him his sin and David is just grieving because he sees how awful his sin is. Well, that's where 
we're going here in Psalm 51. He says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, you can read that two different ways. You can read it to where he's saying, my parents were committing sin when they conceived me. But the problem with that view is that it has nothing to do with the context of the whole psalm. The whole psalm is not about what his parents did. It's about what he did. He's convicted and grieved over his own sinfulness. He's bewailing his sinfulness before God all the way through the chapter. So it doesn't fit if you try to say, well, his parents were committing sin when they conceived him. What does fit is that he's saying, even from the moment of my conception and my birth, I was a sinner. Yeah. And that's why I've committed these evils in the sight of God. And that's why I need to confess my sin before him today. So you can paraphrase Psalm 51.5 like this. When I was born, I was in iniquity. When my mother conceived me, I was in sin. And if that's true, if that's what David is getting at here in verse 5, it means that babies are not innocent, they're not pure, they are born with a sinful nature. And as soon as they get old enough to exercise their will, they will commit acts of sin. It might take them a couple of years to where they grow up big enough where they can start talking or start waving their fists or start screaming mine. But eventually every baby in the world is going to express their iniquity that's already there. Okay, let's go to another one. Psalm 58. Okay, Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those, or excuse me, these who speak lies go astray from birth. Now he mentions the womb, and he mentions birth. He says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. What does estranged mean? You guys know? Yeah, it needs to be separated. It needs to be separated. So people are not, you know, walking with God and close to God when they're born or in the womb. They're actually estranged from God, from the womb. And they speak lies as soon as they're born and can form words in their mouth. How many of you as parents had to take little Johnny aside and say, Johnny, I want to teach you how to lie today. <laughs> you know, this is how you do it. None of us ever did that, but they all learned how to do it. How did they know how to do that? It was already inside of them. <laughs> that sinful nature just needed some time to get out. So there's another very clear statement that from the womb, from birth, there's this separation from God that's already taking place. Now, the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. There's so much here, I'm just going to have to limit myself to just to verse 3, the very end of it. He says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And here's the statement I want you to think about. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That little phrase, by nature, that means something. What nature? By human nature, the fact that you're a human being, by the fact that you're born physically into this world, by that nature, you are a child of wrath, even as everybody else. That's how I understand Paul here. And that's consistent with Psalm 51.5, and it's consistent with Psalm 58.3, and it's consistent with Romans chapter 6. It says that every person born into this world is a slave of sin. 
I remember my friend, and he was actually a fellow elder, Howard McElraith. He and his wife, Doreen, had a little baby, and people were sending him cards. One of the cards says, congratulations on your sweet, pure, innocent little baby. And Howard said, what they should have said in that card is congratulations on the birth of a new little sinner. <laughs> and he was absolutely right. He knew. He knew the word of God. So that's when slavery to sin begins. What does slavery to sin result in? We find that in Romans 6, verse 19. He says, just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, here it comes, resulting in further lawlessness. That's what slavery to sin results in. More sin. Deeper sin. Greater bondage to sin. I mean, we, we could see this if we just looked at those who have experienced drug addictions in their life. They start off with maybe a little marijuana, right, as a teenager, just wanting to fit in with their friends at school. And that may lead later to crystal meth or speed or cocaine or something like that. And in some people's lives, it leads to even more addictive drugs like heroin. And they are just completely in bondage to that drug. One drug can lead to the next, can lead to the next. I think it's also true in, in other areas. Shoplifting can lead to lying. Lust leads to fornication or adultery. Anger leads to physical violence. Drug abuse leads to stealing to support your habit. The, one sin gives birth to more sins. And then you find yourself deeper and more in bondage than you were before. And the more you give into that sin, the deeper you are in bondage. And it's like this spiraling downward thing. You're going up here, down, 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 down into hell. And sin, that's right. And sin will eventually kill you. And if you die without Christ, you're going to end up in hell forever. That's just the, the truth of the word of God. So that's what it results in. More and more, deeper and deeper, greater and greater bondage to iniquity. It ends in our misery, actually, in this lifetime. People think that they're having such a great time living in sin. Uh, a lot of us have wised up and said, There's, that's just a dead-end road. There might be a little bit of momentary pleasure right in the moment, but in the long run, uh-uh. How will it end? Well, let's look at some verses. Verse 16 says, don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death? Verse 21, therefore what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. <laughs> Everywhere in this chapter you look, this is, this is where slavery to sin ends up, death. And he's not just talking about physical death, because in verse 23, he lines up what happens as a result of being a slave of sin, and then he lines up what happens as being a slave of God. And he says being a slave of sin is death, being a slave of God is what? Eternal life. If it's eternal life, what's this kind of death? Eternal death. So physical death is the separation of the spirit from the body. Eternal death is the separation of your soul from God in hell forever. That's where people are headed without Jesus Christ. If they remain a slave to their sin, 
Now let's just sum up what we've learned about being a slave to sin. Begins at conception. It results in more and more impurity and lawlessness, resulting in misery and bondage in our life. It ultimately ends up in death and hell. So let me just ask you guys, if you're a slave of sin here today, you still want to serve sin? You want to just go on the way you've always gone on? I sure hope not. I hope that inside your heart, there is a, a desire increasing. I want to be free. I need someone to cut these chains and set me free. And there is one who can do that. We're going to see that next. Let's look at the new master. The new master is God. When did our slavery to God begin? We saw slavery to sin begins at the moment of conception. When did slavery to God begin? Well, let's take a look. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now, they were slaves of sin, but something happened. They became obedient from the heart to what? That form of teaching to which you were committed. What, what's this form of teaching to which you were committed all about? What's he talking about? The gospel of Christ. The apostles brought this new teaching that Christ can save you. Christ can set you free. Christ died as your substitute. Put your faith in him. Turn from the old life of sin and embrace Jesus. And these people in Rome, from their heart, they became obedient to the gospel. And they were set free. They were set free from slavery to sin, and now they were enslaved to God. Notice also verse 18. It says, And having been freed from sin, having been freed from sin, Passive. Notice the verb is passive. Having been, didn't say I freed myself from sin. It says having been freed from sin. Also notice verse 22. But now having been freed from sin, Paul is very uh, consistent here, and enslaved to God. Both of those verbs are passive. Freed is passive, enslaved is passive. What that means is that I didn't free myself and I didn't enslave myself. Somebody else did it for me. Who did it? But God is the only one who can free you from sin and enslave you to himself. You can't do it. Man, Over in Colossians chapter 1, he says in verse 13, For he, God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He did it. You didn't do it. If you're a Christian, you did not do this. God did it for you. Now, what's the domain of darkness that he's talking about? It's the same thing as the dominion of sin that we're talking about in Romans 6. Same thing. He rescued you from that old kingdom and he transferred you. It's like he grabbed you by the clutches. He, he, he picked you up and he yanked you out of that old kingdom and set you down in this new kingdom. Transferred, transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son, where Christ is king. So the new master, God, begins to bring us into this, this new relationship. And it's God that does it. And it begins when? It begins when we're united to Jesus Christ. That's what we've been reading about through the whole chapter. This union with Christ produces this freedom. 
Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 13? For by one spirit, he has baptized us into one body. The spirit of God took us and immersed us into the body of Jesus Christ. We were united to Christ and to his body. And when that supernatural change took place, which we call the new birth or regeneration, when that took place, we were freed because we were taken out of the old kingdom and put down in another one. We were cut off of the old tree and grafted into the new tree. You can use all kinds of different illustrations here. But it's the same idea. You were in Adam. He puts you into Christ. Now, how does somebody get into Christ? I want to read this for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, who is the his in 1 Corinthians 1, 30? It's God. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So God has got to do something if you are going to be enslaved to him. That's all we're saying. This is a work of God, it's a work of grace, and it's it's a miracle. Because it's it's greater than the human being has the capacity to perform. If we're slaves and we're in chains, how are you going to get free from that? You don't got the key, and you don't have a a saw, and even if you did, how are you going to cut them with your hands like this? (laughs) Someone's going to have to come and knock those things off for you. Thank God he loves to set sinners free. Amen. He, he did it for me. He's done it for a lot of you folks. And if any of you are still in your sin, he can do it for you this morning. Amen. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He can do it for you. We became a slave of sin at physical birth. We become a slave of God at spiritual birth. That's how it works. What did our slavery to God result in? Look at verse 19. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slavery as slaves to righteousness, resulting in, there's the key word, sanctification. That's what it results in, sanctification. Uh, verse 22 as well. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. Okay, so whatever this word sanctification is, it seems to be really important. (laughs) Because it's the result of God enslaving us to himself. So we become the servants of God, and that results in sanctification. Now the word sanctification literally simply means to be set apart. And when he's talking about sanctification here in chapter 6, it's progressive sanctification. Meaning that the believer is more and more set apart from sin to God over the course of his life because the Holy Spirit is at work to convict him of sin and to give him desires and open his eyes to the beauty of Jesus so that he continually is turning from these worldly things in his life and setting his gaze on Christ who is of infinite beauty. And there's this setting apart from the things that are worthless to the things that are priceless. The Spirit works that. Notice how he compares sanctification with the result of slavery to sin. Verse 19, just as, now that's really important, just as, so we're going to compare two things. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. See the the parallel? When you're a slave of sin, it results in more and more sin. 
When you're a slave of God, it results in more and more holiness. When you're a slave of sin, it results in greater and greater bondage. When you're a slave of God, it results in greater and greater freedom. You see, it, it, there's this comparison, but one is like the reverse of the other. Notice also in verse 22 that the benefit is sanctification. We can look at sanctification as like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's, that's kind of a, I know I have to, but I don't want to. But the Bible looks at it as your benefit as a good thing, a blessing, a positive thing in your life. Well, let's just read it. Verse 22 says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. There's no benefit to being enslaved to sin. He even tells us that in verse 21. What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? Nothing. There was no benefit to living in sin except for a little bit of momentary pleasure. But if you're a slave of God, there's all kinds of benefit, and that benefit is sanctification. God is going to progressively separate you from sin to himself and make you more like Christ. And that's a huge benefit. Why? Because instead of leading us into misery, sickness, guilt, depression, broken families, divorce, Death, sanctification leads to your joy, your happiness, your health, your peace of conscience, healthy relationships with other people, and in the end, eternal life. So who wants to live as a slave of sin? When you can have all this over here, right? How will our slavery you got in? Well, look at verse 22 and 23. But now having been freed from sin, and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, how does it end? Well, it never does end. Because when you were united to Christ, you were, you were given at that point eternal life. Eternal life is not something we get when we die. Eternal life is something you get when you're born again. And it lasts, it stays with you and goes past the grave and it goes into eternity and that life never ends. Because eternal life is the life of Jesus. And when you're connected to Jesus, you're connected to his life. His life is now in you. And if Jesus can somehow die, so can you. But if Jesus can't die, neither can you. If you can die and be separated from God in hell, then it wasn't eternal life that you received. So, when a person receives the life of God, they enjoy God, they delight in God, they enjoy worshiping God, exalting God, meditating upon God, pleasing God. My friend, if you don't enjoy worshiping God and pleasing the Lord and exalting Him, if you don't enjoy that, you're not going to enjoy heaven. <laughs> and you're not ready for heaven. <laughs> You would much prefer, well, I don't know if you nah. I could say you prefer hell, but you certainly wouldn't enjoy being there. You're going to be bored. You're going to oh, man, when is this going to be over? When can I go do my Xbox, you know? I mean, this is just so mundane. But if your heart has been changed, all right, we get to worship with the saints. Let's, let's get a greater vision of the beauty of Christ today. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's draw some application. Is sin your master? 
The wages of sin are misery, death, and hell, according to Romans chapter 6. You want to be freed. You need to obey from the heart that form of teaching that the apostles delivered. That form of teaching is Romans 1 through 5. That's the gospel. I'll give it to you really, really quickly. We are unrighteous. We are without excuse. We're under God's wrath. We're headed for judgment. God has provided a righteousness by which we can be accepted with him. Jesus Christ is that righteousness. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he died bearing the wrath of God against our sin. And if you will come as a humble, broken-hearted sinner, putting all your trust in Jesus, he will free you, and he will save you. And he can do that right now Amen. to anyone who will trust him. So I call upon you this morning, if you're still a slave of sin, repent. That means to turn. It means, like I'm going this direction towards my, my old way of life, about face. I'm turning my back on the old life, and I'm turning towards Christ. Yeah. If you just turn your back on sin, and that's all you do, you, you, you're not saved. You have to turn towards Jesus. Right. Yeah. He's life. You'll have no life apart from Christ. Yeah. He is the only life that you can find. So turn your back on the old life, because it's not going to give you life. All it's going to give you is death. Turn to Christ and cling to him with all your might. So if sin is your master, repent this morning and trust Jesus. Is God your master? You say, yes, God is my master because I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. If that's true, you are under grace. If that's true, rejoice, because you have a good kind, loving master. You have the best of masters. And slavery to him is perfect freedom. He enslaves people for their benefit. Because you know it will bring joy to them. It will bring life and blessing to them. It's the opposite of the evil slavery that we know about in our, our nation's history, where we enslave people because we want to use them to our ends. God is not trying to use us. He's trying to enrich us. And the only way he can do that is break the shackles and bring us into his own kind, loving, sweet bondage. And that's what he does to the believer. We think God's commanding me to repent because he wants to make my life miserable. It's the exact opposite. It's because he wants to fill your life with goodness. The more holy you are, the more happy you are going to be. You want to be happy? Everyone wants it. Then strive for holiness. Because that's the way of true happiness in this lifetime. It's not in drugs. It's not in alcohol. It's not in illicit sexual relationships. It's with a pure relationship to God that spills over into pure relationships with other people. So yield to him if he's your master. Amen. He's putting his finger on some area of your life that you're, you're struggling with and you don't want to yield to him. It's going to go better for you if you'll just surrender. Just say, okay, Lord, I give it up. You're right. I need to just yield this thing to you. And you're going to find sweet peace in doing that. Amen. Are you a slave? Yes. Of course you are. Everyone is. The real question is, who are you a slave to? I pray it's God. And if it's not God, it can become God if you will obey from the heart right now the gospel that we've mentioned to you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being gracious to us. Thank you for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Thank you, Lord, for taking us 
from being a slave to sin and freeing us and enslaving us into your holy, righteous, sweet, good kingdom where we find love and acceptance and joy. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's still in bondage to sin, Lord, would you break those chains right now? Break them and bring them into your kingdom. Cause them to be born again. Make them to be in Christ. Lord, you alone can do this. And we call upon you, Lord. We call upon you to do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.